Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, I'm Sabrina Steerwalt, and I'm Everyday Einstein, bringing you quick and dirty tips to help you make sense of science. Today I'm here with Dr. David Grinspoon, author of the new book, Chasing New Horizons, Inside the Epic First Mission to Pluto. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me on. Bones Coffee Company helps you get excited about your morning coffee. Escape the mundane with products like double caffeine, high voltage, and unique flavors like maple bacon and strawberry cheesecake. Have the ultimate coffee experience with one-pound bags, sample packs, or Bones Cups. Visit BonesCoffee.com to have delicious, freshly roasted coffee delivered straight to your door. Enjoy free domestic shipping on all orders over $50 and use promo code EINSTEIN for 20% off your entire order. You are obviously a science communicator and an author, but you are also an astrobiologist, an advisor on space exploration strategy to NASA, You were a chair at the Library of Congress, and you've written about Venus and about aliens. So what made you decide to write about the New Horizons mission to Pluto? I love stories of exploration, and uh, I've been in love with space exploration my whole life. In addition to my own involvement in several planetary missions, I try to uh, be uh, as good a storyteller as I can. And I'm attracted to this story because this mission, New Horizons, is really, well, it's it's just an incredible story. It's a bunch of young dreamers who decided in 1989 that they wanted to send a mission to Pluto and were told that that was not a good idea, that it would never happen. It's too far away and too expensive and not important enough. And uh, they didn't let go of this idea. And they were stymied in so many different ways and experienced so many setbacks. And then 26 years later, they succeeded in sending this mission to Pluto. And then of course, Pluto turned out to just be extraordinary in terms of its uh, scientific interest and its beauty and complexity and uh, surprised us in so many ways. So the story I think is kind of emblematic of modern space exploration. It, It really shows you how it works. There are a lot of books that tell you what we discovered, but this one really tells you how it happens, how a mission goes from just an idea some people have to something that years later is fully realized. And there's a lot of details in how that happens that people don't know. And this mission had it all. You sort of everything could go wrong, did go wrong, and yet they persevered. And then the other thing for me was I had the opportunity to co-author this book with Alan Stern, who was one of these people in 1989 as a kid, you know, he was 30 years old, uh, just out of grad school. And he said, I want to send a mission to Pluto. And uh, he was told no. And then he didn't take no for an answer. And uh, now he's he's the leader of that mission. So he had all the stories of how this worked. Uh, I worked with him to bring out those stories and and construct this into a narrative where people can 
understand what it really takes to send a mission uh, so far away and have it succeed. Well, and to give a sense of how far away it really is, New Horizons was launched in 2006, and it didn't make it to flyby until 2015, when it got our most detailed image ever taken of Pluto. So that adds up to a nine-and-a-half-year wait from spacecraft launch to flyby. That's like preparing a pie, one with ingredients that'll cost you several hundred million dollars, and carefully placing it in the oven only to know that you can't enjoy your result for another nine and a half years. That seems like such an incredibly long time to wait, but it's really just the top tier of this cake. You alluded to the decades even before launch. I know you were involved in some parts of that process, but what was your favorite part of that time to write about or to talk to Alan Stern about? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because people think, wow, nine years, that's a long project. (laughs) But actually, you know, there were decades before launch. uh, And so it's a really long project. And and the other thing I want to say in response to your question is that, you know, it's not just a matter of waiting for the cake to come out of the oven during all that time. I mean, the team was busy during those nine years. There was so much planning and working the spacecraft and and ironing out uh, problems with the spacecraft and detailed planning of the Pluto encounter. And then there was the a Jupiter encounter on the way to Pluto, which uh, was both challenging and scientifically exciting uh, to stop by Jupiter on the way to Pluto. So uh, for the people involved in the mission uh, that, you know, they weren't just uh, waiting for the oven to, uh, to the dinger to go off. (laughs) I suppose my favorite part, it's hard to say, um, you know, the moment of launch was just so exhilarating. Uh, And I was there and I was with a bunch of the members of the science team who were my old friends and, Seeing Alan and all these people go through that after all these years of planning and then the anticipation that, you know, that starts at that moment. And, you know, it, it's, there's a, it's an anxious moment because, because rockets do, do blow up. You know, things can go horribly wrong. So it's just this one moment where all these dreams from all these years in the past, all this work in the past and all these dreams of the future are crystallized in this very powerful machine that is sitting there on the launch pad and sort of steaming and counting down and you know then the countdown gets aborted because something goes wrong you have to wait till the next day so there's all this sort of built up anticipation and anxiety and then there's this very cathartic moment when it lights up and rumbles and streaks into the sky it's very emotional that's one of my favorite moments was you know the launch itself but then of course uh, you can't beat the actual arrival at Pluto and the the way Pluto looked itself and then the, the look on the faces of the team members and then of the, the gathered public there seeing this, uh, this sort of wonder world revealed, you know, that, that was a pretty exciting time as well. Well, I will back you up on the emotions. I just watched the test launch the other day with a group of astronomers and there was more than one face that was a little teary. Oh, yeah. These, you know, you think of like um, maybe the cliche of, engineers and scientists or these people that are not the most emotionally in touch people. I, I don't think that's an accurate cliche, but you know, it, it is the picture we have, but you know, <laughs> there are plenty of tears and, uh, and heartfelt hugs and um, extreme partying into the night <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> you know, I mean, when, when these people that have been so pent up and then, you know, it works and it's on its way, you know, that really is a time to party. And so that, that's another moment that, that, you know, those parties after launch and after approval when they discovered they were going to get to do this this mission. And then the parties after the encounter itself with Pluto, just the celebratory aspect after all the 
incredibly hard work over so many years and all the anxious, uh, sleepless parts of the mission. Then when you, you're with these people and just they're just enjoying the success, those are great moments as well. I can imagine. Let's take a short break to hear a word from our sponsor. Flava Naturals is a proud sponsor of Everyday Einstein and Making Sense of Science. Flavanol antioxidants promote brain function, heart health, and exercise performance. Harnessing the power of nature and grounded in science, Flava Naturals Decadent Premium Chocolates and Cocoa Powder have 500 to 900 milligrams of naturally sourced cocoa flavanol antioxidants per serving. You'd have to eat 5 to 9 typical dark chocolate bars a day to match the amount of flavanols you get from Flava Naturals. And the best part is that Flava Naturals chocolate tastes amazing. My favorite way to have a little Flava Natural chocolate is to mix their unsweetened cocoa powder Flava Mix into my protein smoothies. Go to FlavaNaturals.com today to learn more and enter discount code EINSTEIN for 20% off your next order. That's F-L-A-V-A-Naturals.com and discount code EINSTEIN. Expires July 31st, 2018. Chocolate was your weakness. With Flava Naturals, it's your strength. And now back to our interview. So your book is based on these conversations you've had with Alan Stern and his perspective as the lead scientist. But you also mentioned many, many smaller players that were just so key in making this mission happen. I'm thinking of Senator Barbara Mikulski and all that she did. Can you give us an example of a minor player that you enjoyed writing about or who played a key role? As you mentioned, you know, the, the core material for this was the conversations I had with Alan for about a year and a half. We spoke every Saturday and I just got really good material and then sort of wrote the first drafts of that. And then Alan and I wrote and rewrote them together. And then there's a lot of his first person quotes interjected into that. But there are also a lot of other characters in this as well. And I, I it wasn't just Alan's story. I interviewed a number of other people that were involved. And there are a lot of characters. I'm glad you mentioned Barbara Mikulski because she's kind of an unsung, relatively unsung hero of this mission. It was on its deathbed several times where it got canceled by Congress or canceled by NASA, you know, multiple times. And Senator Mikulski uh, came to its rescue. She was a supporter of this mission. And she several times stepped in and said to NASA, no, you, you can't just cancel this. You know, we put too much into it and kind of rescued it. There, there are a number of members of the science team and, and the engineering teams who are just real characters I enjoyed talking to a lot. One of the key people is a, a scientist named Leslie Young, who was sort of Alan's uh, deputy scientist through much of the, the mission, deputy project scientist. And uh, she was just key in, in planning the encounter, the very detailed uh, planning of how all the different instruments are going to work in sequence. It's kind of like choreographing a dance where you have all these parts and they all just have to do their thing at just the right moment in a way that doesn't impede the other parts. It's a very complex planning process. And Leslie was sort of the czar of planning, but she's also, you know, quite a character. She just has this really uh, kind of impish sense of humor and this very uh, indefatigable spirit where she would just, there were several times where um, Alan would worry that Leslie was, you know, working too hard and staying up too late or whatever, um, you know, when they were working on this. And, and, and Leslie's rallying cry, she would always just say, whatever it takes, Alan, whatever it takes. And that, that was one thing she said that then became kind of a, a mantra for the mission. You know, it was Leslie's uh, phrase, whatever it takes. And we even named a uh, part of the book that because that was just so emblematic of um, the attitude 
that was necessary for people to overcome the hurdles that allowed this to happen. I love it. Am I remembering correctly that she's pictured with Brian May in the book? Yes, yes. And that was really fun, too, because, you know, some uh, there were celebrities who showed up, of course, and participated in the encounter. And, and Brian May, he's a guitarist for for Queen. And, and he has a PhD in astrophysics. Yeah, exactly. So he's not just any celebrity. He actually joined the team and, and had interesting scientific discussions. And he did, he contributed some uh, of his own uh, stereo. Uh, he's, he's very interested in stereo imaging. And he made some cool uh, stereo uh, renderings of some of Pluto. So, he, you know, he, he got involved. He wasn't just sort of a celebrity tourist. But it was really fun for uh, some of these uh, science team members like Leslie and the others to, uh, you know, suddenly in addition to exploring a new planet, they found themselves hanging out with with Brian May. So fun. So one of the main things I think we've learned from New Horizons on the science side is that Pluto is not just this cold rock out in space. It's actually a very complex planet with icy methane snow-capped mountains and frozen lakes of liquid nitrogen. Do you have a favorite Pluto fact that we now know thanks to this mission into our outer solar system? Yeah, you know, every time we explore a new realm of the solar system, we're surprised. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be anymore because we, you know, our <laughs> assumptions prove to be wrong. And in particular, when we explore the sort of distant places out in the outer solar system, uh, we expect them to be dead and then they're alive. I mean, geologically, the moons of Jupiter, you know, we thought would just be these battered ice balls. And in fact, uh, Io's the most volcanically active place in the solar system in Europa is this cracked surface with an ocean underneath. Well, the same thing happened, you know, when we got to Neptune and we, we saw how amazing Triton was. And so we shouldn't have been surprised because we finally make it to Pluto. And some people thought it might be just a battered ice ball. But in fact, it's one of the most active planets there is. It's, it's just such a vibrant place. We, we have this saying, Pluto is the new Mars that people started saying on that science team because it's got such a range of features and such a complex surface. And, you know, it's got some very young, very active surfaces and other areas that are ancient and old, you know, so it's really the complexity and the dynamism of Pluto that, it, that it's an active world. If I had to distill it to one fact, it's simply the fact that small worlds that far from the sun are not dead, that they are active. And, and in particular, that, that on Pluto, these seas of nitrogen ice, you know, who knew that you can have a planet that has deep layers of nitrogen ice that are moving, they're convecting. It's like boiling water, you know, I mean, not that fast, but it's on, on a slow time scale, it's clearly overturning and, and roiling and sort of bubbling up this sea of, of solid, uh, convecting nitrogen. So to me, the fact that you can have a, a churning nitrogen sea on a world, you know, 4 billion miles from the sun, that is, is an amazing fact that we, we learned from exploring Pluto with New Horizons. Pluto is the new Mars. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So if you could pick where we should explore next, should we go back to Pluto and learn more? Should we venture beyond? Where should we go next? Oh, man, you, that's such a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> because if I ran the world... <laughs> <laughs> then we would, we would uh, increase the uh, planetary exploration budget by one or two orders of magnitude, and we would have many spacecraft going to many places at once. If I have to pick just one mission, it's, it's, it's so unfair. There's so many places I want to go. But certainly what we've learned about Pluto tells us that we have to go back. We need another mission. One isn't enough because, uh, for instance, there's the side of Pluto that New Horizons didn't 
pass close by that we saw at a distance on approach because Pluto rotates over uh, 6.4 days. So we saw there's the far side of Pluto that we have sort of blurry pictures of that also looks really interesting. And we only have vague ideas of what's there. And then the the encounter side where we did get the close-up pictures is so interesting that, you know, we have to see the rest of it. You know, there are ongoing processes that we have to monitor. And it's an interesting enough place to be worthy of a return visit and probably a visit with an orbiter or maybe even a lander, something that sticks around and is not just a flyby that rushes through and takes some some data. So I'm not going to let you pin me down to one mission, <laughs> but I'm going to say that among the plans of our exploration over the next few decades, a return to Pluto is very, very high on the priority list. Well, thank you. And thank you for talking to us about Chasing New Horizons. Sure. Yeah, well, I, I'm really glad to uh, to talk with you. And I'm uh, I'm so excited to have the book coming out so that other people can learn of this amazing story that I I learned so much about when uh, Alan and I were writing the book together. Thank you. Until next time, this is Sabrina Steerwalt with Everyday Einstein's quick and dirty tips for helping you make sense of science. You can become a fan of Everyday Einstein on Facebook or follow me on Twitter where I'm at QDT Einstein. If you have a question that you'd like to see on a future episode, send me an email at everydayeinstein at quickanddirtytips.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.